welcome to Confabulation, the podcast. I'm Matt Goldberg, the host and producer of Confabulation, Montreal's premier all-true storytelling series. Every week, we bring you one of our favorite stories from one of our live shows. This week, we've got a story from Dmitry Vitaliev. Dmitry told this story back in... I don't know that. That information is not here. 2011. This week, we're bringing you a story from Dmitry Vitaliev. Dmitry told this story back in October of 2011 for our Scares and Scars event. Stories of the things that frighten and mark us. Dimitri is the founder and director of Equality, an organization which works to guarantee the digital security for nonprofits and other deserving groups. Dimitri's story is about his lifetime of travel as one of the most fascinating people I've ever met. Here is Dimitri Vitaliev. Okay, good evening. Um, I haven't done this very often before. Actually, I've never done this before. And when I was thinking about this morning, I thought that I should start off with something funny since the rest of my story isn't really so funny. So I was walking to Jean Talon Market thinking of something very funny to say. When uh, crossing the road the other way, it was a kind of an elderly woman. She was crossing by herself. There were no cars around or anything, but all of a sudden in the middle of the road, she just dropped like a pack of bricks. And uh, I ran over and uh, she was speaking French, said, uh, j'ai un problème avec ma suie, or something I didn't understand. <laughs> anyway, I picked her up and she went off and away. And I am a superstitious person, so I took this as a sign and I thought, cut the f- funny bit at the start <laughs> and just move on with the rest of the story. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to be funny. So, I think one of the reasons I'm superstitious is because I'm Russian. Russians are very superstitious people. For example, we'll never shake hands with somebody over the threshold. Or if you're two friends, you can never walk with a tree in between you. You can never walk around the tree, otherwise you'll never be friends again. Or if, let's say, your wife or somebody's pregnant, you're never allowed to buy the baby any presents. You're not allowed to talk about the baby until it's born. So I grew up in Russia my first 10 years in the Soviet Union. And I'm also Jewish, and this was one of the reasons why my family had migrated to Australia. So I spent the next 10 years there, and then when I was 20, I was going to take every Aussie's rite of passage into the world, a one-year trip in Europe, (coughs) flying with Egypt Air. And a couple of days before I'd left, I was invited by a good friend of mine to a party where you had to come as a, as a punk pimp or prostitute. <laughs> so I thought, well, the only uh, honorable thing I could do was to go as a punk. And I'd quit my job at the Big Evil Corporation, and I went to the hairdresser at the mall. I said, I've got to look like a punk tonight. And he went to work on me and uh, kind of snapped out of it. And I saw that he had shaved all my head clean, apart from a line of hair standing up and going around the back of my head and two horns coming out here. (laughs) And he dyed them purple. So I looked the part for the evening. And then when I came home, I realized that I have to start my big trip. And I couldn't really do anything with the sagging bits of hair on my head, so I shaved it all. So I shaved it all completely clean and boarded a plane to Egypt looking like a Jewish Nazi. (laughs) So... 
So I get off uh, in Cairo. This was uh, Egypt Air. I was flying to London, but it was Egypt Air. And uh, back then, you could get off the plane for as much time as you wanted to. Well, I initially had three days, but I increased it later on. So I got off the taxi in Tahrir Square, and I realized that this really wasn't my place. And uh, I was completely dumbfounded. It was the first time I was in a Muslim country. I was by myself. I had a completely shaved head and a big Jewish nose. And I straight away got fleeced into buying some sort of carpet at the shop. <laughs> and I finally ended up at Hotel Select, it was called. It was right next door to Cairo's only synagogue. Uh, with guys with machine guns protecting it outside. It was owned by this redhead Palestinian guy who had all his family members sleeping uh, in the corridors. And I was completely jet-lagged, and I was so frustrated about the carpet and about being there. <laughs> and I fell asleep, and I woke up at 6 a.m. with a huge call of the Muzadin right outside my window. And I thought, you know, where am I? So anyway, I was kind of getting lost and having a, a hard time in Cairo. And then I went to see the pyramids. And uh, the pyramids is this incredible site, of course. It's near Cairo. It's a town called Giza. And I stayed there the night, and I decided to, on the next day that I wanted to go see all the other pyramids. And some of them are quite far apart. So I found a guy who was doing tours, Mohammed. Mohammed had a camel. He had one camel. He was kind of, you know, my age, maybe a little bit older, taller, a little mustache. And he would walk my camel, and I would ride the camel for three days and go down. Go down some of the pyramids you can climb into, and they're still open. And uh, throughout these three days, we would stop kind of at these um, Bedouin little houses. Uh, we would take lunch, and then at night we would take dinner and stay there. So this was at the end of the third day. Uh, for lunch, we had ended up at another little Bedouin house. And we walked upstairs, and there was a room, well, a little bit like this room. <laughs> uh, except that the guy, I think he was trading in these, uh, like, rose water and all this. Uh, different kind of perfumes. They had all these little bottles around the room. And we came into the room, and I was about to s sit down and uh, begin eating, and Mohammed says, wait, wait, because some of my friends are coming today. We'll wait for them. So we wait for them, and the door opens, and in walk four giant, what I thought were Islamic jihadists. These guys had machine guns. These guys had these uh, red and white checkered handkerchiefs. They put the machine guns to one side of the room. We sat around a table, and they put their knives underneath the table. And we started eating. And the little boy brought some food. And uh, I shit myself straight away, but when we... <laughs> When we sat down and started to eat, um, it only got worse. Um, they were speaking Arabic, I didn't understand. Some of them were throwing these kind of glances at me. And I started to get paranoid. Now, as I started to get paranoid, Mohammed started to translate some of the things they were saying. Then one of them 
said a huge big joke about Ariel Sharon, and everyone ha 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 and laughed. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't have a Star of David or anything around me, but I just thought maybe they won't know, you know, why would they know? Um, then they served tea, and um, by this time I was so paranoid, I don't know if it ever happened to you, that I thought that the tea was laced, and I started to trip out a bit. You know, all the little glass around the room started to twinkle. And I looked at the door, and the door did not have a handle to open it. It was a door that you'd kick when you'd come in from the outside, and that you have to somehow open when you're inside. So I really started to panic, and all of a sudden in me, I found this drive to get out of this situation somehow. I thought, what could I do, what could I do? And uh, I had my bag with me, and I looked in the bag while they were talking. Didn't have really anything in there apart from a bottle of water, passport, and a packet of cards. I always used to uh, play cards, and I brought cards with me. So this was the only tangible thing that I could think of, and it was in my bag, so I took out the cards, and I showed them this card trick that I know. It's a, <laughs> it's a simple card trick, basically. You know, you lay out three rows of seven or nine, you ask one of them to pick which row the card is in, then you lay it out three times. After that, you know what card it is, and you make these five little pots, and the person picks out his card. So I don't know what they had there in the Sahara Desert, but obviously they didn't have a lot of cards or card tricks. And these guys were dumbfounded. Like they never saw anything like this before. They thought I was a Chattadeya magician. <laughs> so I showed it to them again. Uh, still the same effect. And I showed it one more time. There was, we were going around. And then I took Muhammad aside, and I taught him how to do the card trick in the corner. Then he sat down and started to do this card trick. And uh, these guys were looking at it like this, trying to f figure it out. And I was kind of walking around, walking around, gauging the <laughs> situation, what I should do now. And at one moment where uh, he's, lay he's laid out the piles of cards and the guy's picking out which one he thinks, Something just flashed from above, and I thought, no, and I grabbed my bag, and I ran to the door. <laughs> and I jumped, and I opened the door, and I jumped outside, and I started running to the Sahara Desert. <laughs> and I'm running, I'm running, and I hear, and like, you don't hear the sand very much, but you only hear when it's closed, this kind of behind me, and Muhammad catches me on the camel. And he's like, Mr. Dimitri, Mr. what are you doing, what are you doing? I said, well, what do you mean, what am I doing? You know, who are those guys? You know, what are those guns? <laughs> so he understood, okay, and goes, okay, get on, and we got the hell out of there. So, I don't know. <laughs> I guess the moral of my story is that if you're scared, run first, ask questions later. We'll be back on April the 4th with Confabulation Presents April Fish. We'll be sharing stories of getting tricked, trapped, and hooked every time. 
You can also catch us on May the 2nd, also at Mainline, also at 8 p.m., for Confabulation's fifth birthday party. We'll have cake, we'll have stories. All stories are about the theme of Montreal, the city we love and live in. It's been good to us, and uh, we want to thank you all so much for being a part of our big Confabulation family. If you've got a story you want to share, send it to confabulation at nomoreradio.com or check out the form at confabulationmontreal.com or .ca. Confabulation, the podcast, is produced by Paula Flalo and hosted by Matt Goldberg. For more on Confabulation, you can check out confabulationmontreal.com or check us out on Facebook, the preferred social platform for everyone whose name is not Paula Flalo. Confabulation, the podcast, is distributed by No More Radio, available every week at nomoreradio.com. Support for No More Radio comes from Montreal Improv. You can check them out at montrealimprov.com. 